and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by the explorer and survivalist Ed Stafford. In 2010, Ed became the first person ever to walk the entire length of the Amazon River, a feat that took 860 days and really put him on the map as one of our most prominent and exciting adventurers. From there, he's gone on to present and self-film more massive challenges like living in complete isolation on a desert island for 60 days without food, clothes or equipment and being left for dead in various extreme environments around the world from Madagascar to Mongolia. These all became incredible TV series that I've watched religiously with my husband and I couldn't recommend more. So Ed is someone I've wanted to interview from the very beginning, but like so many of my dream guests, he's normally always traveling. So I was really lucky to finally get this time to speak with him. And I hope you enjoy what I think is a really raw and honest account of the spiritual and emotional development that comes with travel, as well as hearing about some inspiring destinations along the way. Ed Stafford, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? I'm very well, Holly. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Um, All the better for finally getting some time in the diary to speak to you. I mean, (laughs) as someone who travels so much for work, it's been hard to pin you down. But how has it been, lockdown, when you're traveling normally so frequently? Um, Do you know what? I've really enjoyed it, and I don't want to sound flippant, and I know... I know what a um, what an unsettling it's time been it's been for many people, and what a mm. difficult time, and loads of people have lost people, and I know all of the pain that goes in hand with it. But we've we're lucky enough to be in a little village in Leicestershire, and um, it's a little bit of a cliche, but the family time has just been extraordinary. You know, I've I've, I've played more more poo sticks than I could have possibly imagined was possible mm. playing with my little boy, and um, it's been it's been magical. My wife's going to give birth to twin girls in about six weeks and oh, so just having goodness. having the time at home to be able to support her through the pregnancy and stuff like that has been amazing as well congratulations but, um, we can't afford the bills or anything like that <laughs> but you know <laughs> fingers crossed the tv industry will pick up again soon but you know it's been it's been magical I've, I've really enjoyed it and you know it's weirdly it's given time to reflect and given time to um sort of appraise where you are in life and what you really want to do with everything and I think it was, I'm not alone in in feeling that um yeah and yeah, so I, I am ready for things to get back to normal now, but it's 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 not been too bad, if I'm honest. Yeah, I've been um, watching your gorgeous boy on Instagram, and he is called Ran, right? Yeah, well, Ranulf. Yeah, is that after Sir Ranulf Fiennes? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know any other ones. Ran, as in Sir Ranulf Fiennes, has been um, has been such a support over the years, and and. Um, you know, when I when I was running out of money in the Amazon, their charity gave me um, gave me money, the Trans Globe Expedition Trust, and then when I came back, they made me a a trustee of that trust, and so it sort of really took me under their wing. And he's always been supportive, and and he's he's just such a legend. He was on the podcast. He was on was season he, one. 
Chat to him, have you? Yeah, he was great and so inspiring. And did, he, did he open up? Yes, actually. I was um I was really touched by how um emotional he was, particularly when he was remembering the travels that he did with his with late wife. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I literally just emailed him actually to um to ask if he'll be on the first series of my my new podcast as well so um so tell me about that that's so exciting well it's called dangerous minds and it's a sort of travel podcast with a difference so i mean i i really want to get inside the brains of explorers who push push the limits you know and to um who suffer as well you know who spend Mm. um months and months away from home doing something that is inherently unpleasant (laughs) um in order to achieve something that perhaps no one's ever done before and I, i i I find that psychology very interesting, not only, not because it's just impressive, but I do think a lot of those people are a little bit damaged along the way. And, and, and I find that quite intriguing as well, because I think there's, mm. you know, I think if you're extremely balanced in life and, and, and everything's gone well from the moment you were born, you probably won't have the drive to go and, you know, walk the Amazon for two and a half years or whatever it is. And, um, and therefore it's just getting inside the minds of, you know, Joe Simpson and Jason Fox and, Ranulph Fines and all sorts of people who I just right. really want to dig down as to why they do it, really. Yeah. And kind of flipping it around, how if I was interviewing you for your podcast, you know, yeah. what, what, what about the psychology that got you involved in doing these extreme challenges? Um, I don't know, it depends how deep you want to go, really, Holly. Um, I, I definitely think that walking the Amazon was something, because that was the first big thing I did. You know, I was in the military, I then led sort of gap year expeditions which was an absolute privilege you know taking 18 to 24 year olds into the jungle on their gap year gi- giving them undeniably the the best three months of their life you know they were uh, cutting new eco trails through the jungle and washing in rivers and sleeping in hammocks it was just the most incredible job really which I did for about mm. six years and then mm. and then um as much as that was lovely, I got bored with um, pretending to be interested in who fancied who and and what A level results <laughs> they were getting and all of that sort of nonsense and um, yeah. and being a sort of babysitter really and um, and and decided I wanted to do something that I'd be able to look back on and be quite proud of and I think again getting back to the psychology of the whole thing I think growing up I was quite insecure I was um, I was adopted as a baby and um, without this sounding like a sob story at all I grew up with um, kind of a bit of a hole inside me I I felt like there was a darkness inside me in my 20s I'd get into trouble I was expelled from school all sorts of stuff like that um Mm -hmm. wasn't particularly settled and um and was quite volatile I would say emotionally volatile um and um there, there was something in me that needed to prove on a massive scale that I was capable you know um that I was able to do something off my own back that would um I suppose tell myself and and tell the world that that i that I, I wasn't a reject, I suppose. Right. That I, you know, this this little abandoned baby wasn't was was a capable in his own right. And and I think that's the deep down. I think that's the psychology that drove me to do it. I really needed to, you know, it, it shows the depths of the insecurity. The fact that I had to go away for two and a half years to to prove this to myself. But mm. I, I genuinely think that's the case. And and I think in a lot of cases, you know, had I had a proper amount of self esteem, had I had a proper amount of confidence, to just there just would have been no need to do something like that really and so so yeah weirdly although it's a it's a funny old thing to talk about i think that's probably the the very very core of what drove me to do it is that something that you realized after you'd completed the amazon and and these future um challenges that you've undertaken or is it something that you've you knew kind of deep down all along 
No, I think it, it has come more recently. Yeah, I, I do speak about that now as, as if it's all very simple. But, you know, there was um, there was kind of quite a sort of egotistical reasons for starting doing it. I think, you know, many men in their 20s and early 30s are, and women for, the, for that matter, but, but maybe more men. <laughs> A very chess beater, you know. They want to show off. Mm-hmm. They want to, um, you know, shout to the world how tough they are. And um, you know, when I found out that nobody had ever walked the length of the Amazon, I, in a in a very sort of greedy manner, I, w- I wanted it to be me. And and um, mm-hmm. and yet, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, how you go through life, and then you get humbled massively. You know, I went from an arrogant ex-army captain to a nervous wreck who was biting his fingernails and, and crying himself to sleep in his hammock um, because he was worried that he was going to get killed by drugs traffickers or indigenous tribes or whatever and um and so i think you know in being humbled in being almost returned back to the i i I don't know it was it was like in the military they deliberately at the beginning of training give you sort of sleep deprivation phases to to almost break you down before they can build you up again in a Mm. in in a a sort of version of themselves that that they want to see and i think the amazon was almost a bit like that you know i i started by you know being cocky then i was humbled and then slowly over months and months I became more competent at simple things like walking over a, a a fallen tree that was over a river without falling off and making all the other locals laugh um and and or you know being able to sharpen my machete and my confidence grew but not just based on what other people thought of me that sort of reflected sense of self but actually based on what I knew I was capable of and I think that was the really healthy thing for me it wasn't it was almost it was this little little escapade that really um I was able to find out really what I was made of, find out that, mm. you know, what my capabilities really were. So, um, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, there's a lot more that I'd like to ask you about your incredible Amazon trip, and we'll come back to that later on. But okay. let's, first of all, dive into your travel diaries, starting with chapter one, and that is your earliest childhood travel memory. Okay. Um, well, we used to go to um, a hotel called Henfice, which was in Aberdaran, which is on the, the north tip of Wales. I don't even know what the peninsula is called, but um, it was um, right on the very tip of Wales. And it took about three and a half hours in the Chrysler Alpine that my dad used to have. And we always used to cram into this tiny car. It always amazes me how everyone used to cram into tiny cars back then, didn't they? Everyone's got yeah. massive SUVs now and they've all got these big boxes on the roof. And just think, how on earth did we all get in that small car? But we did. And um and we used to go to Wales and it was, um, you know, I didn't have an overseas holiday, I don't think, till we were, I was in my teens or something like that. But it was always Wales. And um, I just loved it. You know, it was windbreaks and um, and buckets of spades and um, shivering on the beach and, you know, walks in the rain and stuff like that. Such such fond memories of mm. of terrible weather and um and and you know pretty drab scenery quite frankly that part of north wales but um but yeah um i don't know for some reason i suppose because it was family time it was time that i'd spend most you know dad worked hard he was a solicitor mum mum was a lawyer as well this was this was our break this was time to spend with both of them and and with another family who were equally close so yeah that was my earliest memory and did you have a love for the outdoors from an early age did you have a taste for adventure would you say I think I did yeah we grew up in this little village in Leicestershire and um and it was in the day where it was very safe to let your children just go roaming off all day and we we would literally leave at um whatever it was 
nine in the morning and not come back until it was almost dark at night. And um, so we're building dams and tree houses and playing this game called Manhunt, where which would go over several days where someone would go off and we'd all have to chase him. Um, and I had a definite affinity to the outdoors just through that. I felt much more relaxed there than mm-hmm. I did at school. Um, and I think actually it was joining the Scouts that probably, it gave me the skills that were able to turn that, notch up a little bit you know um suddenly I joined the scouts and I was told how to administrate myself how to pack a rucksack how to navigate how to you know look after myself tie knots things like that and suddenly I thought this is brilliant now I've got some skills that I can use to to go further and to do to do more exciting things so yeah it was it was where I lived and it was kind of compounded by by joining the cubs and then the scouts and how about chapter two which is the first place that you fell in love with it's it's quite shabby, um, <laughs> but we used to have this rundown caravan on the the, the summer holidays with to Wales, and then if we were going away for weekends, it was um, about three times a year, probably to this place in Suffolk, and uh, it was a shabby rundown caravan down a dusty, well, sandy track, and it was literally falling apart. And there was a little shed outside it made of asbestos that um, I knocked down one summer and and Ugh. got my lungs full of asbestos but and it was next to a pig farm so it was really noisy and uh, crikey I, I'm not really painting a very romantic picture of my childhood <laughs> destinations am I but it was um again it was um memories of sitting down with my mum and uh, reading the twits to us by Roald Dahl and, and you know playing games at cards canasta and that sort of stuff in this cramped little caravan all getting bitten by mosquitoes and um having these little kerosene lamps on and it just you know, I'm not a caravaner as an adult at all. Um, I'm, I'm probably in the Jeremy Clarkson group of, of Mickey taking in regards to caravaners, but <laughs> but it was just this little space where you, you know you had to heat up this little space for it to be toasty warm inside and cooking on little Caligas stoves and and having little those little miniature boxes of cereal in the morning. Absolutely loved it. So um, yeah, I, the place that I fell in most was um, yeah, it was uh, near Oldborough in Suffolk. Oh, that's such a beautiful part of Suffolk, isn't it? An mm. amazing fresh seafood that comes in to yeah, the fishmongers on the side of the road. Yeah. And yeah, it's such a great, beautiful coastline. How about camping, not caravanning? I've, I've always, I've always liked it. I've not, I've, it ne- never bothers me roughing it. You know, I probably sleep better on a, on a roll mat than I do in a double bed, to be honest. And um, I gen- genuinely, you know, sometimes I can't sleep at night and I'll go and f- blow up my therma rest and, and sleep on the floor <laughs> really? yeah yeah i do and it's just it's, that sounds like such a stupid thing to say doesn't it but it's just it's something about the overindulgence of of sinking into a big luxurious bed that overcomplicates nighttime for me there was um again i don't want to sound like a band camp broken record with the amazon but you know that when i'd hit my hammock in the evenings cho and i cho was my peruvian walking partner would literally um have this moment where um, <laughs> we would both say to each other out loud, you know, no hay nada como mi, mi amaca, which was, yeah, there's nothing like my hammock. And um, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was utterly bliss. We'd just literally get into our hammocks and lie there for about five minutes, enjoying being in our hammocks. And I think it's the simple things, isn't it? And imagine it was raining mm-hmm. outside your hammock and so that you're in this little cocooned, um world where you're dry and warm and comfortable and fully supported by the hammock and it's hammering down with rain and you really feel like you're you're winning against the environment yeah and you, it's uh you're looking after yourself you're you're not degrading you know you've you've had a wash the clothes are you know clean and drying above the fire and you've powdered your feet and something about being able to sustain yourself for long periods of time 
in the wild that gives you real peace of mind, I think. Yeah. Mm. So tell me about the route that you took. For the listeners um, who might not know all the details of your yeah. walk, it was 28 months walking the entire length of the Amazon River from source to sea setting a world record and obviously putting your name on the map as one of the our great adventurers i I read a book called running the amazon by joe kane who was a new york journalist and he he ran the length of the amazon from source to sea with a with a czech guy called piotr hemilinski and um, it was just fantastic journey where they they got shot at with um by drug traffickers with guns and and by bow and arrow by indigenous um, tribesmen but they were on the water and so they were going past so there were these fleeting fleeting um, glances with these incredibly hostile people and I'm really rubbish at kayaking but I got so hooked on this adventure book that I thought well what, what would it be like if I if I didn't go by boat so I wasn't whizzing past these communities I, I actually walked through every single one of them and you know had to look those tribal chiefs in the in the eye and deal with those situations head on and and that was really the that sort of excitement that then stirred and butterflies almost made me feel sick at the time you know it was like but is that possible you know could you deal with all of those people and you know I do a little bit pride myself in being able to connect with people quite quite well as much as I was a six foot one white skinhead essentially um bumbling through the jungle I I do I do I love you know that that's a sort of um immediacy of you know somebody being scared of you initially but just trying to win them around trying to be Mm non-threatening trying to be you know not patronizing you know it's such a balance you know we were held up at arrow point and gunpoint and stuff like that on a number of occasions and and it was it was just you know reading faces and 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 just really trying to gently ease your way through a situation without you know without showing that you're weak but equally without being arrogant and overconfident and, and and getting shot because you upset the people in front of you so I thought that that was a and again it's weird isn't it it's not the it's not the river crossings or the um or the you know encounters with snakes and things like that it's always been the for me the the psychological um aspect of it that's been the most interesting you know can I can Mm -hmm. I manage my way through these um through these people what a jet hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters May 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all 
all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. And you crossed the infamous red zone, a no-go area in Peru known for its cocaine trafficking and its coca growing. So Mm. how how was that? Was that one of the most hair-raising experiences you've had thus far, would you say? Yeah, it was up there with Afghanistan, definitely. Um, It was funny. Every single person said, look, if you stumble across a drugs processing plant, you'll just disappear. No one will ever hear from you again. It won't be... Really? It won't be spectacular. You'll just just you were here and now you're not um, vanish yeah and um and i think that could be the case i mean the we didn't we we stumbled across um abandoned drugs processing plants but luckily not active ones and you know every single person that we spoke to especially in the red zone because no one's in the red zone unless they've got a hand in the in the drugs trade at some sort of level whether they'll be growers or distributors or whatever and every everybody is only there because they're doing one thing really and so and the police don't go in there and the you know the the army don't go in there because well when they do there's a big gunfight basically um so they're kind of left to be lawless and yeah every single person i spoke to as we we're going through would were kind of laughing at me and going look you're gringo you're gonna die but yeah it was hairy but i think again just going back to just that human connection i have, I have a confidence in basic human kindness and mm-hmm. you know just because people are opportunists and they they're currently making their money out of uh, out of the drugs trade doesn't mean they're inherently bad people at all i don't think and 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 i think that was the case whether that be loggers or tribesmen or um or or coca farmers or whatever um you know people generally once they worked out that i wasn't a threat they were they were very kind Mm. i studied anthropology and so i was very envious of the opportunities you had to interact with these indigenous communities along the way and um, I was just particularly interested in kind of what part certain people that you met, maybe certain individuals, played in your experience in particular. Um, were there any people that you met? Obviously, Cho being yeah. one person that you came came into contact with, and then ended up walking the rest of the trip with you. So, yeah, I wondered if you could tell me a bit about your experience with with some certain individuals. Yeah. Well, it was actually an anthropologist who introduced me to Cho. We, I got to a village and um, and they were very, very angry that I'd walked into the village. They didn't know I was coming. The village was predominantly women, um, which I latterly found out was because the Shining Path, had, the communist guerrilla movement that, that was sort of prevalent in the sort of 80s and 90s had killed all of the men. Um, oh, my goodness. But the, wow. at the back of this group of women who was very, very... Um, angry and all, all sort of um indigenous dress and red face paint and everything um a shanika indians they were was a was a much taller lady again with the same beads and face paint on but she was clearly white and i i literally stepped towards her and held out my hand and said are you english and she said yeah hi i'm i'm emily and she, she just said have you got any idea 
who these people are. Like you can't just walk into this village. She spent six months as an anthropologist, gaining the trust of the villagers by working in their office in a nearby town to be able to then come into the village and start studying how they live. And and um, she just said the concept of you turning up with your rucksack and just expecting this to be fine is ridiculous. Um, and um, so I, the village didn't let me through without me going to the nearby town with Emily in order to get permits from the indigenous organization but it was her that then introduced me to Cho and um, Cho was um, in the nearby town he was a forestry worker but he also when he ran out of money would sort of run base cocaine up and down the mountains as well so he he was quite fascinating because he knew the dangerous areas and he knew the areas to avoid and and mm-hmm. obviously and, and obviously therefore we did but I didn't I didn't like him to begin with he was um he was really annoying. He would. He was a devout, he, at the time. He was a devout evangelical Christian. Not that that's a problem, but he would sing these songs at the top of his voice, and then he would turn around <laughs> to me with this big annoying grin and say, "Are you motivated?" And like this, have, having having walked for sort of five months on my own, having this idiot turn keep turning around and like acting like a a sort of PGL guide, I, I found really annoying. Um, and but then um, I suppose I couldn't help but acknowledge. Initially, it was it was. Um, it was quite a selfish reason why I sort of let him continue because I couldn't help but acknowledge that he wasn't scared at all. And I was scared and therefore he was a really positive influence on me. And, um, and so, you know, the first five days of walking with him became 10 days to the next town. And then, and then at 15 days, he's, I said, look, Joe, do you want to want to walk all the way to the mouth of the Amazon with me? And he said, yes. And, um, so we literally in a Kitos, we had to get him a passport because he'd never left the country before and he'd never been on a plane before. He'd never. We went through Manaus, which is this big mon- metropolis in Brazil. And um, <laughs> watching him go up an escalator for the first time in this shopping centre was absolutely hilarious. Um, so, yeah, he, he was undeniably the, the, the rock that got me through the expedition. You know, he, he, he didn't do the first five months, but he did the tough bit. He did the hard bit. And he, he, he was... Ranulph Fiennes describes um, needing people who aren't um, volatile, who don't have big highs and big lows on an expedition, who are just steady. And Cho was just that. You know, he was, to my emotional volatility, to my moods and my anger outbursts, he was just, he just, he either absorbed it or he ignored it. And he was, he was perfect. He didn't react to it, I think, which was important. And as a result, he was the most perfect. It wasn't that he was timid or, or withdrawn or anything like that. He wasn't. He was a confident man. He just, didn't have any need to engage in in this bizarre sort of western emotional you know roller coaster of emotions which i was mm. um and so he so was he, he he was he was without doubt you know could i have done it without cho I, I will never know but i think that niggle was probably the reason that i ended up going on and doing individual survival experiments because i i think the one thing i hadn't proved to myself is that i could do this on my own um, because Cho had been so supportive. Yeah. Well, that might lead me on quite well to chapter three, which is the place where you learn the most. Yeah, Yeah, great segue. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, the place where you learn the most about yourself. Where would that be? Dun, dun, dun. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Olorua, which was a tiny little island, um, which took about an hour to walk around conical um, rainforest covered island between Fiji and Tonga in the Pacific Ocean. And the challenge was, could I be dropped off on that island with nothing and survive 60 days? But it wasn't just nothing. It really, really, really was absolutely nothing. I didn't have any water, didn't have any food, didn't have a knife, didn't have a tent of any description, didn't even have any clothes. And so I was dropped off naked. And it was at a time when mm-hmm. that was quite a, 
a big thing you know naked yeah. naked survival has been a bit of a cliche over the last ten, decade but but at the time it was it was new and um you know they said could you do it and i i literally just laughed and said i haven't got a clue i mean i've, I've never lit a fire with two sticks before you know the whole of the amazon i used a lighter you know and um why wouldn't you and so it was it was a massive challenge um the island was quite conducive to survival you know there were coconuts there were snails there were crabs there was a tiny bit of fresh water, which was a bit of an issue, but but it wasn't. I wasn't going to have to be a rocket scientist to survive. But I think the thing that I had grossly underestimated was the effect of isolation um, on me, um, and mm. and um, and so that's why it was definitely the, the the thing that had the biggest impact on me. I think um, in terms of self awareness, I, I was on this knife edge of essentially losing the plot um you know every single thought internalized not having anybody to bounce ideas off or to cry with or to put an arm around you or to laugh with um and i was just i think to myself like if i wake up tomorrow a little bit more crazy than i did today or having lost it a little bit because there's no yardstick you know there's no one to compare yourself with no. then at the end of 60 days i could be properly crazy without even realizing it because there's no one to compare myself <laughs> with and yeah. um and there was all sorts of little sort of um, things that suggested that I might be slightly finding it difficult. And I, I just, I, I literally just, um, from a sort of self-discovery phase, it was um, it was great looking back on it. It was the most amazing thing I've ever done in terms of I, I'm so much more self-aware as a result of that than I was at the beginning. But but it was a, I mean, a really uncomfortably intense time for me. I, I think there were a lot of people who, if they are together, and that maybe they've got no childhood issues or whatever, they could sit on an island and they could be quite composed and they could literally just go about the practical things that they need to do every day in order to survive. But but I remember being dropped off by the Fijian clan and as the boat disappeared into the ocean, I, I, li- I literally just wanted to vomit on the beach. I was scared. I thought it would take mm. me like three weeks to mm. start getting lonely or something. But the, the enormity of literally having to be 100% responsible for myself you know, in terms of food, in terms of water, in terms of everything, was um, was kind of overwhelming. I watched it back last night, actually, that first night. Yeah, and it it really kicked in almost instantly, That those waves of anxiety, and you seemed quite surprised by it. It, it just smacked me in the face. I, I think what I hadn't recognised, and, and I, I was at the time a, a real layman in terms of psychology, I'd, I'd never... I'd never had periods of depression, I, well, not official ones, and, and I'd certainly never had antidepressants or anything like that or or any type of therapy. And yet I was going into something that was so intensive that it was massively having an effect on my what I would now call mental health. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I latterly, <laughs> I think I've sort of come to the conclusion that pre that I was um, – I, I'd got myself into a thing that I think a lot of people do to a lesser degree. My concept of self was based on a reflected sense of self. So you imagine if you go into a room and you tell a joke and everyone laughs at it, you know that you're funny because everyone laughs at it. Or if you walk the Amazon and everyone tells you you're tough, then then you're tough because everyone's told you that you're tough. And, yeah. But if you go on an island on your own, there's nobody to give you any feedback at all. And part of, I think, that initial breakdown was just, um, who, who the fuck am I? You know, who, yeah. I haven't got a clue. I, I re- without any so feedback. So exposing. Underly, un- unquestionably vulnerable. I mean, it wasn't helped by the fact I was naked and I hate willy wavers as well. Like, there was just the most <laughs> uncomfortable, I just wanted to put some clothes on and, you know, yeah. if um, but also the vulnerability of, um, you know, having to 
record this whole thing for Discovery Channel, which is going to be seen by millions of people while having a mini identity crisis and and well not even a mini identity crisis i just literally had to sit down on days and go well okay if you don't know who you are then let's decide who you are and you know what do you stand for what are your morals you know do you want to be somebody who's um honest or do you want you know are you happy with stealing things or are you happy with cheating or are you happy with uh, you know and, and and literally built up this sort of code for myself that i decided that i was happy with and then i'd say i'd say well okay that's me then, isn't it? You know, if that's what you want to be and that, you know, I want to be reliable, I want to be emotionally balanced, I want to be a good dad, I want to be this and that and the other. And And we're talking about all of these kind of serious issues that emerged uh, or heavy issues that emerged during your time on this kind of exquisite desert island in in between Fiji and Tonga. I kind of wondered when when you were there, were you so head in the game or did you kind of take a step back to enjoy being on a tropical deserted island? I wonder, how was the experience of the environment for you? I I tried to enjoy it, but I don't think I I don't think I succeeded very many times. You know, there were mm-hmm. there were fleeting moments of I can't, it was when I was doing something which I knew was practically progressing me, but wasn't stressful. So, for example, p- plaiting palm leaves in order to thatch the shelter that I was building I would suddenly have little epiphanies and waves of complete relaxation um but it was interesting because I couldn't do that while I was just sitting doing nothing because I was scared of not progressing of not getting stuff done so I made myself mm-hmm. incredibly busy um I would have little schedules and like give myself little five minute breaks every hour to have a lemon leaf tea once I'd got a fire going and stuff like this and then I and then I'd go straight back to work and I'd work like a dog. And, and I think it, it was it was very difficult to sit and watch a sunset and go, oh, that's a beautiful sunset. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people have postulated that if you can't share things, they're not as pretty. You know, if you look at a sunset yeah. and, and you're not with anybody because you're, yeah. you're not you're not sharing that. It's 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 harder to it's harder to appreciate the beauty of it. Um, mm. But I was kind of making it up as I went along, really. Hotels in the UK are opening up again and I think we all need a break. So if you are planning a staycation or you're visiting England and you've heard about how beautiful the villages in the Cotswolds are, I can think of no better place to recommend to you to stay than a true British classic, the Ligon Arms. The Ligon Arms is a spectacular 16th century coaching inn that's been transformed into a luxury hotel. It's steeped in history. You can even stay in a suite that Oliver Cromwell slept in the night before the Battles of Worcester in 1651. Incredible. And it stands majestically in the very heart of Broadway, which is one of the most charming, pretty villages in the Cotswolds with a ton of boutique shops and a thriving foodie scene. And don't forget to eat also at the Ligon Bar and Grill at the hotel itself. I once had a a lovely lunch there with all the finest locally sourced ingredients and it's in the most picturesque setting. So head over to ligonarmshotel.co.uk to find out more and I hope you have a lovely stay there now let's get back to ed from one desert island to chapter four which is your all-time favorite destination where would that be um 
I think it's got to be um, Argentine Patagonia, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate enough to um, take a job leading expeditions um, down in Patagonia. There were conservation expeditions, so we were doing everything from tracking wild boar to monitoring Andean condors in the foothills of the Andes to putting out um, multiple day treks across the northern ice cap in um, Chile. And so it was it was magical. Obviously, you've got the you've got the Andes there. You've got snow capped mountains. You've got ski resorts. You've got stunning lakes that look like you know the most beautiful parts of switzerland um all of the architecture is you know you know when they uh, again quite swiss in its influence but um and it was quite Mm -hmm. it did feel very european down there and and um you know the architecture was trees that haven't been sort of squared off everything was built with the um, actual shape of the tree still very very visible and i used i find that actually beautiful and the Mm -hmm. people were just you know, they'd been through this incredible financial crisis about eight years before where the um, Argentine peso was worth absolutely nothing and had to be revalued and everything. And so they were very used to the sort of barter system, but also they'd been hugely humbled by that. So you've got quite a a proud nation who are proud of their sport and their rugby, which I, I, I love, but also incredibly self-deprecating because they've been humbled by this um, financial crisis and they've all ended up essentially no nobody had any money of note really apart from the... The, it's the guys who are international moving in and i i just mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with the place uh beautiful women funny blokes good sense of humor they love their sport and and stunning setting as well so if there was somewhere where potentially i would love to retire to when everything calms down it would be um yeah bariloche san carlos de bariloche in, in argentine patagonia mm. Oh, it's an area that i'd love to visit so chapter five is your hidden gem Tell me about a place. I mean, you've been to so many remote filming locations. I imagine you have quite a few. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ridiculously lucky in the fact that I get to go to all these amazing places. I don't profess to know any of the countries terribly well because you end up in this little filming bubble where you're whisked from the airport to this sort of base camp area that's been set up in a load of tents and then and then, and then then go into this filming bubble, sort of survival bubble, where you, you're operating within a very sort of constrained area for mm-hmm. safety reasons really i think if there was one of those where i've had the most magical time um which is a hidden gem it's up in the northern part of um thailand in in what they call the golden triangle um so bordering burma and lao and um i think there's something about the energy up there the people are just incredibly incredibly kind and friendly but but um i remember doing an episode of marooned actually and um i'd struggled mentally um before doing this episode, I'd had to take three months off work for a sort of mini breakdown, uh, which was post the 60 day survival on the island. And and, um, right. and I remember going to Thailand quite prepared in terms of a sort of mental health toolkit. I was meditating. I was using the Headspace app. Um, I was mm-hmm. in, in, in quite a good place because I think you, invariably, you know, the, there's that cliche, isn't it? Breakdown or breakthrough. And and it was a sort of new chapter of the the next phase of my life, you know. When I, I, you know, you almost sometimes need to fall apart before you can put yourself back together in a in a better way than you you, you know you were before. And mm. I remember that episode was just it had everything. Um, it had hailstorms, it had thunderstorms, it had you know I was catching little frogs in the river that kept squidging out of my hand and going away so it had sort of comedy moments um it was so bountiful i caught a jungle chicken and there was like lemongrass and stuff so i made a little thai chicken curry in a bamboo (laughs) tube and i made a 
made a cigar out of bamboo leaves and uh, no not bamboo leaves banana leaves and you know just remember in this last night never really achieving that you know the, the aim of those marooned episodes was to thrive uh, or see if i could thrive in 10 days and um most of the time i was scrabbling around starving and not even remotely getting close to thriving but i remember just sitting on this hill um waiting for the helicopter to arrive eating thai curry smoking a cigar <laughs> watching the sun <laughs> watching the sun go down going if this isn't thriving, I don't know what is. You know, this 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 is where I've smashed it. So I think possibly for the fact that the area was so kind to me, um, uh, yeah, that's that's my hidden gem is nor- northern Thailand. Mm. In contrast, then chapter six is your worst travel experience. Mm. Do you know what I'm going to say? Ibiza. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> we went to. Oh, I've been I've been a couple of times. Um, when I got back from the Amazon, my mate George. Um, convinced me to go to Ibiza with him and um, I didn't really have any money at the time but it was grossly too expensive so you know when you slightly begrudge coming along and then guy just cost a fortune I couldn't Mm. stand the the sort of pretentiousness the 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 need to be so beautiful and wear expensive sunglasses and shorts and this it was the exact opposite of what, what I thought sort of matters in life in terms of values and and, mm. and not really caring about your appearance and stuff like that. And so um, as much as it is a beautiful island, and, and my wife and I have been back recently as well, um, more recently, I just I don't like trying that hard, you know, and mm. feeling an environment where everyone is trying so hard. <laughs> just, yeah, it wasn't for me. Too cool for school as far as I'm you're, concerned. You're more low-key? Yeah, I'm more jeans and a scruffy T-shirt rather than, yeah, and I've probably got baby sick down my front half the day and you know <laughs> chainsaw oil on my trousers and um not that the island isn't wonderful not that there aren't amazing ibethans not that everyone who goes to ibiza is an idiot but it was just too trying to be cool i thought yeah chapter seven then is your next big adventure although the caveat now is it's your next big adventure when lockdown is over are there kind of any world's first challenges out there that are on your radar what's next coming up for you well the, the immediate next adventure is having twin girls that is going to take over for a little while obviously um so that's that's going to that's going to take over quite a lot the 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 tv side of things um is kind of on hold at the moment the boring truth is that there is no advertising revenue at the moment and so the channels don't have the money that they need to have to commission the program so mm. whether that bounces back i'm not sure there's some fantastic series is that have been um postponed till next year which fingers crossed will happen next year uh, one of them is living with gypsies for 60 days um i think there's a huge discrimination story around gypsies i think they're one of the last sections of society where it's uh, pretty much acceptable to be racist against um certainly i live mm. in a little middle class village in leicestershire and every time i've said that um i'm gonna go and spend 60 days with gypsies well you can imagine that the sort of responses they're very very prejudiced and um and mm, very racist yeah. as well and um and so that would be fascinating and i think you know i love the survival i love the adventure and i love the overseas travel but um i also really like the filmmaking side of things and to to have the privilege of tackling a really meaty subject like last year well year before last now homelessness yeah and um sleeping on the streets of london glasgow and manchester for 60 days was it, it's weird to say that it was a privilege, but it really was. It was such an insight into a into a world that previously I'd known nothing about, and and I I really got a kick out of um, tackling a sort of adult subject rather than you know 
adventure let's face it is quite a light <laughs> a light topic really isn't it and can he get a fire going can he not get a fire going who really cares um and and it was tackling a hard hitting subject like homelessness and obviously mm. gypsies is again it's, it's something that i think needs addressing um that that for me is a is a very new challenge and i think i've never wanted to fall into the cliche of just because i've done one world first expedition having to do world first expeditions for the rest of my life that just seems mm-hmm. seems too obvious really it's like okay you know that if you were to go and walk the for example i walked i registered walking the nile.com before lev wood um walked the nile and yet it seemed too it seemed too much of a cliche to just go and walk the next river you know um mm. and and um and i think in the same vein um i'd like i'd like to think that adventures don't just come by putting a rucksack on and walking and suffering i think adventures come by starting businesses and i think adventures come by but you know tackling tackling issues and stuff like like homelessness and 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 um prejudice against Jap- gypsies and travelers and stuff like that sure there are so many interesting opportunities and i guess maybe one day in the future if the right one came along you might consider it or if on or not as the case may be you've got a growing well, family yeah and well potentially that well that's the thing i mean when when um ran was Crikey, when Ron was about a year old and Laura went off and did a world first expedition to kayak down the Essequibo River in Guyana, um, while she was away, I came up with this concept of um, walking across Antarctica from coast to coast. Um, and um, it was about six months after Henry Worsley sadly died um, trying to achieve the same thing. And he died of sort of multiple organ failure on day 72 or something like that. And I remember looking at that expedition and thinking, look, evaluating it and going, I reckon I could do that. And um and I think it was because Laura was away that I was thinking a little bit more like a single man. But the honest truth was, as soon as she came back, um, and this does, I don't want to sound like a sort of henpecked husband here, but I just thought, just, just from a priorities standpoint, um, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. There's limits, isn't there? And, and for me, anyway, uh, you know, a sort of three months trip of that sort of magnitude and that, that kind of risk in Antarctica is probably one step too far at the moment yeah 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 well it might not be walking antarctica but chapter eight is what's at the top of your travel bucket list is there a place that you'd like to visit that you've not yet Mm. been to it is unfortunately antarctica (laughs) oh is it (laughs) yeah yeah it is i mean definitely it is i mean the for me the there's a romanticism and uh, weirdly i think that i'd feel almost the same about a an ocean row as well um that concept of having your little tent having your little stove keeping your systems going and I, i'm i'm a geek in terms of the sort of having really really efficient systems of cooking or purifying water or you know putting your tent up and taking it down or melting snow water or whatever it be on in the oceans as well but to have your little contained world where you've got to manage yourself through this through this um it does still appeal and you know the amazon had it to some extent but i think i would get huge amounts um from a on a personal level from either i suppose a a polar journey across um across antarctica or um or an ocean row um i think both of them would sort of tick that box in terms of that sort of cocooned little introspective world where you've just got to be as as efficient as you possibly can to get to get from a to b so antarctica sometime in the future Never say never. Yeah. Never say never. Well, thank you so much, Ed. Those were your travel diaries. Thank you so much for sharing such incredible stories with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Holly. Well, that was Ed Stafford. I 
I really enjoyed that conversation. It just goes to show that travel is so formative for different people in different ways, doesn't it? And I'll definitely be tuning into his new podcast, Dangerous Minds, which is out now. If you liked this episode, why not subscribe and get new episodes weekly? You can do that for free on all the podcast apps like Apple, Spotify and CastBox. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. For everything else podcast related, visit thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.